0: Welcome to Truly Fit. Welcome to the Truly Fit podcast, where we interview experts in fitness and health to expand our wisdom and wealth. I am your host, Steve Washuta, co founder of Truly Fit and author of Fitness Business 101. On today's episode, I speak with Dr. Michael Lentz about fibromyalgia. He is a board certified pediatrician and internal medicine physician, and he is an expert in fibromyalgia. He wrote a book called Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, and his podcast also has the same name. So I implore you to go check that out if you're interested in this conversation. First, we discuss the definition of fibromyalgia from a clinical perspective and anything that he has to add to it. We go over common signs and symptoms, how most uh, PCPs deal with this, the difference between this and, let's say, autoimmune diseases or rheumatic issues, Uh, as personal trainers who have clients that might bring in a health history form that says they have FM. How exactly do we go about handling this? He gives great insights into this and a host of other things we talk about surrounding fibromyalgia. It was a great conversation. Uh, This next piece should not deter you from listening here, but my mic was not uh, set properly. So I'm a little bit lower than Dr. Lenz, but that doesn't matter because he's the featured guest. I'm just the interviewer throwing out a few questions. He does the vast majority of the speaking and it was great. I hope to have him on again down the road to maybe dive into other specifics around FM. With no further ado, here's Dr. Michael Lentz. Dr. Michael Lenz, thank you so much for joining the Truly Fit podcast. Why don't you give my audience and the listeners a little background on you and what you do in the medical field?
1: Well, thanks for having me. so uh, eager to get this finally set up after a couple of rescheduling, but I'm a doctor. I am an internal medicine doctor and a pediatrician. I've been a doctor for over 26 years, and then I got extra training in something called clinical lipidology. has to do with heart attack prevention and cholesterol management, and then also have been interested in lifestyle medicine and got certified in lifestyle medicine a couple years ago. That is blending the best of uh, both exercise, sleep, diet all of those other things that are so important in battling things like we're talking about today with fibromyalgia. So I get a chance to see the whole age spectrum through from uh, babies through adults and all that range. And just as a background as far as truly fit goes, I love exercise. I do a lot of exercise uh, on a regular my, uh, basis for myself. I enjoy it. I think it's not, not only good self-care for myself, but so many for others. So I highly encourage that.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot we can talk about just with that introduction there, you being involved in sort of lifestyle medicine and, uh, you know, fusing that with your your practice as a pediatrician. My wife is also a pediatrician, so um, I know how difficult it is to do your job. You have somebody come in at any given time, and I know you're a specialist, but still, they typically come in and they might have three or four or five issues, and you have a 15 to 20-minute span to solve all of those issues and then move on, and that's that's very difficult, and um, I admire that as somebody in my industry who doesn't have that, right? We There's no regulation. I could spend three hours with a client if I want to. So, yeah. um, so it, that, that is certainly difficult, but we're here today to mostly talk about fibromyalgia. Can you give a clinical definition of fibromyalgia? And then a slight caveat on that is secondarily, is there something missing from that definition that you would like people to know that's very important?
1: So at a basic level, f- fibromyalgia is a combination of three core symptoms. One is chronic diffuse pain in multiple areas in the body, and that can wax and wane in intensity and locations. There also is significant amount of fatigue, and there's also brain fog. There's a lot of other symptoms associated with it, but those are at the core. Um, brain fog are problems with concentration, focus, staying on task, just to name a few, and fatigue. And these are all going on typically for at least three to six months And you've had a clinical evaluation with a physical exam and history trying to rule out some obvious causes like thyroid disease, inflammatory conditions, cancer. You know, if somebody's fatigued and they've lost unexplained uh, 30 pounds and they're having symptoms of cancer, obviously that's a separate story. But you might also have, and these are some of the newer definitions, is that you might have rheumatoid arthritis. About 40% of rheumatoid arthritis patients have uh, fibromyalgia so it's used to be well if you had rheumatoid you can't have the others it's one or the other and it's, there's a lot of comorbidity or things that occur together um, and under the umbrella of fibromyalgia are a lot of other we call regional pain syndromes so those include things like uh, painful periods migraine headaches tension headaches chronic neck pain back pain irritable bowel syndrome irritable bladder uh, chronic pelvic pain there's a lot of other areas kind of Labeled regional pain, and often they may start that way. You know, as a pediatrician, I might see a child, uh, or see somebody who, when they were in childhood, and may see children with this of parents who have fibromyalgia who start with chronic abdominal pain, um, might have had growing pains, which we now understand may be restless leg, and then as they get through puberty, um, girls may felt very painful periods out of proportion to their friends, and you might start getting um, migraine headaches. And then a neck pain then uh, progress into multiple areas uh, in more, more than one area, and then maybe then meet kind of the official criteria for the diagnosis of fibromyalgia, which we could talk about how do you make the diagnosis. But:
0: Well, I do want to get into that, but first I want to take a step back. You, you said a, a word that's uh, very particular to your industry, the jargon of um, you know, the medical landscape. Is umbrella term. So you're saying so that this is an umbrella term, meaning you could potentially, and tell me if I'm wrong, see 10 clients, patients, sorry, different business, 10 patients in a day, and those patients all have fibromyalgia, but they're all presenting differently, with potentially with with different sorenesses and different weaknesses because they don't they're not they don't all have the same sort of clinical issues, although it's falls under the umbrella of fibromyalgia.
1: You know, it's very interesting. I just saw a patient yesterday who, her primary symptom was hip pain. Now, looking back, she's had this for about three, four years. She's been to uh, um, different doctors, ortho, physical medicine, rehab, chiropractors, and it's persisted. And what's funny, she came and Now, I want to see you, Dr. Lenz, again. I'm going to get your opinion. And it turned out she had fibromyalgia, but she, her complaint was her left hip was hurting, but she also had chronic neck pain. She had chronic shoulder pain. Her back was hurting. Yeah, and she has irritable bowel syndrome. But she didn't volunteer that because, well, that's just my normal. And I often kind of compare it to, um, uh, you know, you're a teacher with 30 kids in your classroom and maybe, quote, five or six of them are naughty. Well, there's one really naughty one. So that one gets in trouble. But there's other four or five ones, and they they never get in trouble. It's not fair to that one really naughty kid who always gets all the attention. But Often you have to ask those questions, and I often, you know, I had to phrase uh, uh, it ahead of time by saying, Okay, do you have any soreness or achiness or discomfort? Because they, if you, if they, I think they realize after a while, if they told somebody everywhere they hurt, the doctor would think, Well, there's nothing wrong, and they often have normalized being sore. Um, yeah. so if that is helpful, and with that, so they I'm may present, sure. one may be hip pain, one might be neck pain, one may come in with terrible abdominal yeah. pain, um, they might see a neurologist and complain of migraine headaches, and see a different doctor for their chronic back pain, or their hip pain, and no, and may not volunteer all of those information to the individual yeah. specialists. and when you ask the right questions, you can often find that, so it's very interesting, so...
0: Yeah, my wife calls it the what else. She just says, what else, what else, what else, until they have nothing else to say. And we deal with that in my industry. We have a, you know, what's called basically like an intake form. We all use a little bit different intake form. But unless you sit down and have the conversation with them, like I've, I had an instance, I tell about this podcast all the time, where I said, do you have any injuries? Do you have any past medical things, blah, blah, blah. And I took the intake form in. I was working with this client for a full month before they had mentioned in casual conversation that they had heart, had a heart attack. But they didn't see heart attack fitting into injuries and, and medical issues, right? Because it was, they, they, they looked otherwise. But I also think there's an, there's an amnesia aspect where we forget about the things that we're dealing with. So that's why we don't talk about them, if that makes sense. So, for instance, I have a really bad finger injury, but I've, just, I've come to live with it and I forget that I have it. So I I don't even think to mention it when someone says like, hey, do you have any like serious injuries? So no, I I say no, that's the first thing I say. So I think there is a sort of a, people aren't hiding it, but like you said, it was just a regular occurrence in this girl's day-to-day life where she didn't think to mention it because it wasn't out of nowhere, it wasn't out of left field, it wasn't a new issue.
1: And it wasn't as, as disruptive in her mind as this left hip pain. And there was probably a mechanical component maybe 20%, but they had done MRI, uh, special MRI testing and all of these imaging and they still couldn't find anything. And there might have been a labrum that might have been off slightly, but probably 80% of the pain is a fibromyalgia component. The other reason that I think sometimes people don't want to bring up a lot of these is because there's a stigma and they don't want to be perceived as a hypochondriac, as a um, somebody who's whining and complaining about everything hurting because they've had it so long that they've normalized that their abnormal symptoms are kind of normal, and there's a lot of masking that goes on to hide that. So I I think part of it, if people who are listening, who are working one-on-one for rehab is to normalize that. And that's part of what my goal is with the book and the podcast, and and often I like to say, you know, you're not that special, jokingly, after I, I, you know, to say there's a lot of people who are struggling with this. And there's a lot of athletes who actually, um, I'm having a podcast that I'm going to be editing that'll be out probably in a couple of weeks with a patient of mine. He was an athlete, and he was told he had chronic Lyme, and it turned out he had really fibromyalgia, and he had eight years of struggle. And he was a former athlete, and the where he was at this point in time was a lot of, de- he was extremely, a lot of pain, fatigue, brain fog, but... That's not how he was. He was a three-sport athlete and played up into college and then getting into uh, life and struggles, uh, different things that set it off in his case was a viral-type infection and then not exercising. Often a lot of things start to unravel and kind of uh, unmask somebody's predisposition to fibromyalgia.
0: I'm sure this is very nuanced, but feel free to you know go, go down the rabbit hole here. How does someone like you over, let's say, a regular PCP who doesn't have the background in this, uh, diagnose fibromyalgia over rheumatoid arthritis, over Lyme's disease? Some of these things that have a lot of things that cross over with one another where some of these symptoms could be seen in, 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 in all three of these.
1: Sure. So one is rheumatoid arthritis is a cl- unique clinical inflammatory condition, and you can make diagnoses of that and i've had a number of patients who have both they can have both of those and sometimes where the i've had a rheumatologist boy we're trying these different medications and you're plateauing but they haven't really also addressed the fibromyalgia component so you can have both and there's diagnostic criteria for making both uh the lyme disease series that i'm in the middle of now is there's acute lyme and then there's these post lyme treatment post-Lyme disease treatment syndrome, which falls under the umbrella of what we're learning about long-haul COVID, uh, that you have persistence of symptoms. In, in in my mind, it's similar to how you can have a whiplash, and that whiplash for you, if you don't have a predisposition to fibro it's better in a week or so. And then somebody, that might be the trigger that causes persistent long-term pain. Often if you see somebody, they may say, oh, I was fine, but then I got in that car accident at age 25, and I've never been the same. What they don't tell you is, I used to be working out every day for two hours, and then I got the whiplash, and oh yeah, I was going through a new job, and I didn't have time, and then I was stressed, and I never got back to exercising. The, and that whatever gets them off their consistent self-care of great exercise stress good sleep all of those can get off level but they may not identify that so getting back from regular pcp to myself is just having that awareness um Mm -hmm. and looking for it and making sure you ask the right questions but it's tricky this is extremely complicated because there's a lot of coexisting things that are going on, and you, and then in the middle of this, somebody could get colon cancer, or could get a metas- breast cancer, or could get rheumatoid arthritis conditions on top of this that are separate but happen. You know, people with migraine headaches could develop a brain tumor, right? Um, for yeah. example.
0: Yeah, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Something like a rheumatoid arthritis, there is lab work. There there are specific th- markers that a physician can see um, yes. that would lead them to believe that someone has rheumatoid arthritis and fibromyalgia, that's not the case.
1: Fibromyalgia is not the case, but I would compare it to similar to diagnosing a migraine headache. There, okay. Most people are aware of migraine headaches. And if you're around people who've been through that, you can say it's episodic severe pain in the head with light sound sensitivity typical with or without an aura. And then they're relatively better in between. They might have some mild tension headaches versus a brain tumor doesn't just come and go once a month around your period or a couple times a week. And you have that clinical diagnosis. We don't have a blood test for migraine headaches. We don't have an MRI for migraine headaches. But people commonly accept, oh, that's a real thing. We have the same kind of criteria for diagnosing. It's called the widespread pain index and the symptom severity score in combination with the clinical exam and history that we use to help make that diagnosis. So similar to how we make migraine headaches or an irritable bowel syndrome diagnosis. And part of, again, my goal, too, is help to take that stigma away. Often people feel like, well, my doctor made this diagnosis because they couldn't find anything else wrong. So it's sort of made up and it's not real. And my point is the title of my book, called Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain. This is 100% real. What we do know from research through functional MRIs is that looking at blood flow in different parts of the brain, there are differences in how people process the pain. We do know that. Um, One simple study, an example of this is they had a machine that would apply increasing, gradually increasing pressure to your thumbnail. And... You had two groups. One didn't have fibro and the other did. And you said, okay, tell me when you have pain that's moderate and we need to stop, right? And at the same time, they were looking at blood flow to the brain and looked at different parts of the brain. It turned out that people with fibromyalgia reported pain at half the threshold of pressure compared to the normal people. So, but the same parts of the brain were activated, but it was at a lower threshold. So we both have a sensitivity eventually the pain is protective right if you push hard enough on your thumb you could cause damage but their level of pain was at lower levels the same thing happens with light sensitivity people with uh, on that fibromyalgia continuum will be much more light sensitive put in a dark room gradually increase the lumen the light intensity until it's uncomfortable same thing with doing that with uh, sound you hit that threshold and that's interesting because you have people with fibromyalgia may not want to work out with the loud music blasting. They might be going, not want to come, and they're like, what's the matter? And they, and they may come across as, well, that's high, high energy. I want, we want to get people pumped up, but it might be too many lights, too much noise for them. They often like the lights low. Um, I walk into my exam room. I have some windows, and I have shades. I often turn the lights off, and they just their body relaxes. They've done another study with irritable bowel syndrome where they'll put a balloon in the colon. They'll dilate the colon with gradually increasing pressure, also looking at where the blood flow in the brain is. And the people who are in that IBS spectrum, which fall under that central nervous system sensitivity, will report pain at a significantly lower threshold of pressure than somebody who... Doesn't have so. In other words, they don't tolerate as much stretching. So that's often when you hear people go, "Oh, do you have gas pain?" We all have gas in our intestines, but they report pain at less lower pressures. So these are real symptoms with real pain. It's not just an imaginary thing. It's how the n- central nervous system, the brain, the brainstem, and the spinal cord are processing those. And there's a lot of factors that go into that from genetics. Um, it's kind of like having a volume control on a pain amplifier. There's things that can turn it up or down. Uh, there's uh, we call ascending pain pathways, things that increase pain sensitivity, and then there's descending pathways that act as a break on it. Exercise, and speaking of the podcast, exercise helps turn down that volume. And we can mm-hmm. talk about ideas with specific exercise and things to know working with trainers because I think it's such an important part of their getting better both, healing and then maintaining their health. Exercise is really important, but there are some nuances with fibromyalgia. If you want to talk about those, I'd be happy or any other questions.
0: Let's uh, let's quickly bookmark that. That's going to be the next question. I I do want to go down that rabbit hole not only exercise, but other lifestyle things, because I thought it was interesting that you said turning the lights down and things of that nature, just whether it's anecdotal things that you notice or otherwise. But I want to go to one other question, because you've said this three or four times in the podcast. You, you've already mentioned that this pain is real. And uh, I've noticed that there are some patients through my uh, you know two hours of reading about this who get sent to psych who have fibromyalgia. Do you think this is the wrong thing to do? Do you think this is what they should do sometimes? Is this just bad practice? What is your thoughts on that?
1: Oh, that's a good long question. So it's a little bit irritating. Um, when you look at there's a Uh, symptom severity testing that I do called the Fibromyalgia Impact Questionnaire uh, revised form. And one of the questions, there's a lot of nuances, zero to 10 questions that you'll ask, like how much does this bother you? And one of them is from zero, not at all, to 10 very high. How depressed are you? And most of my patients actually aren't depressed, but they are highly frustrated. So a lot of times it's very uh, insulting to them saying, oh, you're just depressed. Well, I'm frustrated because I'm in pain, I'm in fatigue, and I'm frustrated that the medical community keeps brushing me off. Uh, I have an episode uh, on my podcast called It's Not My Thyroid to get a new doctor. Oh, we'll check your thyroid, which is get some labs, get you out the clinic. We'll come back, and you'll get a call that you're normal. You're fine. There's nothing wrong. Oh, you're so stressed with that. Now, I will say that talking with a therapist and kind of a coaching, and that's where – getting that coaching uh, empathetic coaching but and there might be stress going on you know a lot of people who have fibromyalgia have had traumatic life experiences of various types ptsd activities and working on helping get through that Um, there are often some comorbid uh, issues that go along Um, about half of people who have fibromyalgia have adhd Some psychiatrists make the diagnosis. Uh, a lot of times pediatricians do. That's where I've been able, working both as a pediatrician and an intern, seeing adults, it's something that does occur more often. So I will al- often screen for that as well and get that identified. But So that is not a routine thing I do for referring to psychiatry, but I mm-hmm. do routinely screen also for depression and looking at anxiety and also... Looking at the whole person, I do get a chance at times, and I always like to have my fibromyalgia patients, especially new ones, be my last patient of the day and get to spend two, three hours with them or have them come back because... I want to make sure I get their whole story. Often I tell people who are coming to see me, and I've had a recent patient who f- found me because their daughter was struggling with these symptoms. And then she read and was listening to the podcast, and she's like, wow, I am pretty sure I have this. And then I realized my mom, who was diagnosed as having, quote, arthritis, and in her 40s, which is pretty young for wear and tear arthritis, unless you're severely yeah. obese, um, that was actually probably fibromyalgia the whole time. So she's reading through that. And getting that information. And she came in, and I said on a podcast, write down your whole story. And it started with, well, when I was in childhood, I remember going to the school nurse and having stomach pain. My periods were horrendous. And putting that whole chronological timeline, I went through a divorce such and such time. And that was when I could tell my, you know, there was a lot more stress. A lot of those, just laying that out, writing that story out is um, helpful. I wish in the world there were more fibromyalgia type coaches who were able to help work with that. But if you're working as a trainer, having you do a lot. It's probably like going to uh the banker and you're getting your hair cut. Sometimes you talk about a lot of intimate things in life and having yeah. that empathetic yeah. um tone yeah. of understanding that sometimes I think people may feel that people that other the care people are in the caring fields, whether it's training or or medical yeah. field of some kind may feel that they're being dismissed, like, oh, here's this crazy person, hypochondriac, making up these things. Oh, she's just so stressed. Gosh, she's, every time she comes in, she's stressed. But legitimizing that, that what they have is real, and wow, that's an impact and can amplify pain. And it's kind of how their brain somewhat is wired to be much more sensitive.
0: Yeah, that's the personal side to personal training. And we have to, you know, work with our clients on a day-to-day basis, listen to them. And adjust accordingly i have you know i wrote a book fitness business 101 with the certifications don't teach you and one of the things i talk about is the update phase and this gets into my next question here uh so as uh let's go ahead and say you were my client michael comes in and uh it's 4 p.m and i say how are you feeling today michael what did you do yesterday how'd you feel from the last workout did you sleep well when's the last time you ate did you drink water today How's everything going in your life? Because I want to make sure that both mentally, psychologically, and physically, you're ready for this particular workout. Because if you're not, maybe you're having a bad day. I have to say, you know what? Michael loves to box. And uh, I had a really difficult leg workout for him. He hates legs. He had a really bad day. He had a tough day at clinic. So today, we're just going to box because he needs a light day. We need to be able to adjust on the fly. I talk about that a lot. So let's give a little bit of an example here. Let's say I have a client who has fibromyalgia, and it's just the... let's go ahead and call it standard fibromyalgia, where they have uh, fatigue, they have uh, full-body soreness here and there, sort of unexplained, and uh, maybe a few of the other, you know, sort of uh, standard symptoms. What am I looking out for on a day-to-day basis in my check-in phase before I give them their workout?
1: So, I'm thinking of somebody who often is pretty low on their activity level. Now, not to make generalizations, but Often, if I'm referring somebody, if they were starting, they're starting pretty low and recognizing where they're at and how quickly they can accelerate is going to be start low, go slow, uh, from gentle stretching to doing some slow movement core, lighter movements, um, trying to also encourage them to pace themselves. It's going to be much harder for them to quickly ramp up. So talking about power, strength, it's like, okay, how are we doing? What are some goals outside, outside. of this as well? No, with steps well. and pacing yourself. So I will often have as a simple measure, you know, these activity counters. How many steps are you getting? And then for many people with fibromyalgia, is they sabotage their efforts because you look at their step counter, and one day they might get seven thousand at a high level, which there's many clients of yours might be getting thirty thousand steps a day, but that might be high for them. And then on other days, they only get five hundred. And what happens is when they overdo it, which for them might be 7,000 steps in a hard workout, they feel really sore, extra sore the next day, post-exertional fatigue beyond, and then they overdo it, then they don't do anything. So part of it is is trying to be consistent and pacing and doing maybe a full-body workout, but light or in general, and then gradually in build up their activity over time and recognize this might be is to not... Have them overdo it so then they get discouraged. And then having those check ins. How are you doing with your steps throughout the day? How's your activity in between? And having that coaching and probably much more laying out plans in between of just general being active. And it's depending on where everybody's at. The the Adam who um, had the chronic, was told he had chronic Lyme, but had actually fibromyalgia. He just, before he met, he was pushing super hard. He had support from his family, and he really just on his own really pushed hard with working out and pushed through that pain. He's an exception. Most people get highly frustrated and actually are sometimes insulted if they say, well, you just Mm got to push through the pain and not being empathetic to say, okay, wait, this is somebody who who... can get better, but it's going to be much slower than somebody who has not prone to this and just needs to get in the shape, you know, that, you know, you want to get them better quicker, but you don't want to lose them too and and it's often that uh, importance of consistency the other thing is you talked about how's your sleep we got to keep consistency how's your schedule are you eating consistently and healthy in good ways all of that which you are talking about as you know it's not just the exercise the are those other lifestyle factors that are so important
0: yeah that's great information too and you know a lot of the cues that we take are r- right on spot from our clients meaning i can see if they're breathing heavy i can tell if they're struggling with the last few repetitions the eccentric or concentric motion is it slowing down are they changing body positions are they sort of relaxing what's going on there and then and that gives us an idea of if they're struggling with the exercise but if somebody has fibromyalgia it does they, we have to worry about the next day, sort of delayed onset muscle soreness, and two days later, and all these things that could potentially happen from the workout. So we're not trying to work to failure. We're not trying to get them to the point always where there is a struggle. It's more about movement and uh, assessing what went on in that session, in that next session, to see, okay, you seem to be a little bit sore from from that. We're going to dial it back down. We're going to take it back down two steps. And then we'll, we'll sort of, you know, repurpose everything and we'll go from there. And I think that's, that's an important point you made because uh, a lot of trainers take their cues only on site and they're not thinking about how, how that, how's that client going to feel the next day. And especially with some fib- fibromyalgia, they're more likely to feel that delayed onset muscle soreness. Correct. Right. And, so, and I think
1: for people working, I was going to say people working with, if you can get them gradually up and get at that level, then helping them maintain that, that's so important. There are people who don't hurt whether or not they exercise or not. If they don't work out for a week, that doesn't hurt. But people who are have fibromyalgia, when they're doing the best, they're at a higher than average level of activity, their stress is in a very tolerable range, and they're eating a very healthy diet with lots of whole fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes, and they need to do that consistently. But when somebody's struggling for years and then you help them get better it's so rewarding because for for uh, myself and for people working with training just having that patient like we hope that we can get through this we can help you get better and when they get better maintaining that
0: yeah adherence and consistency are why diets work they're why fitness works that's that that is what that is what changes people's lives it's not one special diet it's not one special modality in fitness not crossfit not powerlifting, not keto. It's adherence and it's consistency. And um, th- that's, that's something we preach on this podcast. Let's end on a, on, a, on a good note here. What, if anything, are you hopeful for in the ways of new studies and new medications and new procedures in the landscape for fibromyalgia?
1: I think it's understanding and education are so important. Because it's so complicated, there isn't likely going to be this magic medicine that comes out. Mm-hmm. It's understanding the integration of all of these important things. As I say in the podcast, I'm trying to bend, blend the best of medical management and lifestyle medicine. And those are so important. Unfortunately, that is not something that's well tr- uh, taught in medical school. It's not taught in for doctors, and it's easy to cure somebody with an antibiotic to cure somebody or control or re- uh, the fibromyalgia symptoms, it's a combination of a lot of different factors that have to be working together. I use an analogy, sports analogy, uh, talking football. Um, you have to have 11 players working perfectly, and that's to get a 5-yard gain. And now we have to do that 20 times more to get from the 20-yard line for a touchdown. And then you could have one thing that's off you got up too early for a flight, you got it sick, and now you get a sack, and now you're having to regain that ground. So working together, uh, in most of the interventions in fibromyalgia, using another sports analogy with most, a lot of people used to doing sports who are probably in the training world, in baseball, um, most of the interventions are singles, occasionally doubles. We rarely get triples or home runs, and it's all, it's partial intervention. You know, I had a patient I just saw today. He's like, oh, I tried this medicine, and it only – well, it didn't help completely. It didn't take away the pain, and I said, you know that. It's not going to – nothing, one thing. And I, I really tried to push it hard, and, I, and I, I really pushed it, and I really took the dog for a walk, and I did all this exercise, and I'm like, you know I never told you to give it your all until you collapse. That's not – he's like – but sometimes you have to just constantly – re-educate with my own patients and that's part of why i started the podcast and wrote the book is because i needed i could not explain in 20 minutes all of these factors you know i I don't you know it's so many different things and hopefully as trainers listen as a resource is whether the book or the podcast they want to learn more to help their clients that are going through this and for people who know people who have fibromyalgia uh, their loved ones who don't get it to go okay i understand this better and uh hopefully work i think a lot of times when people have fibromyalgia and there aren't the traditional medicine doesn't give good answers then they're much more susceptible to alternative medicine without without good evidence-based results putting them at risk of being prey for maybe taking money from them and, and offering just hope that's not real hope you know offering you know thousands of dollars of supplements and testing every uh, month and leaving them with just placebo effects. So it's uh, frustrating, but actually it's kind of one of these things that's become one of my favorite patients because when somebody's been struggling for so long, to help them get better is so rewarding.
0: Yeah, and well put. You know, the, sort of the educational management is in itself a technology. It's We don't just need medicine. We need education in the management and if we advance in that area, it seems like we'll be doing more than enough, hitting enough singles and doubles to bat 400, uh, to give another sports analogy here. Why, why don't you let my uh, listeners, uh, Dr. Michael, know where they can find you, where they can find your book, where they can find your podcast, and anything else that you want to pitch here.
1: So you can, the podcast is called Conquering Your Fibromyalgia. The book is called Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain that's available on amazon or you can order it through your local bookstore i have a website called conquering your fibromyalgia with some blogs so a few things there, trying to get that out i might do some other social media uh, down the road a little more and uh, i'm going to be at there's a fibromyalgia care conference i'll be speaking about sleep or on the topic of sleep in uh, november 5th so and if you have any questions from this podcast you can email me at dr michael Lenz, uh, at com. i'd love uh answering any questions there's so much more to cover and and like i say on the podcast there's a lot of different episodes that try to take take a deeper dive um often my patients i'll say you know listen to this i had a patient recent patient of mine who listened to all 62 episodes at the time in two weeks from seeing me and she's like i said i think you have this her mom had seen me five years ago didn't believe me so she didn't come again (laughs) I was taking her history, and she listened. She's like, oh, my mom totally has the same thing I have. She needs to come back to you. She, but people don't like being told these kind of things. They don't like these answers that are complicated, so to speak. But anyways, but it was th- again, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Uh, and uh, maybe I'll have to have you on my podcast talking about uh, things that, when it comes to training, getting how to work with them. I'd love to have you on to get some good tips for them as well.
0: I would love love to do it. Uh, My guest today has been Dr. Michael Lenz. Thank you so much for joining the Truly Fit Podcast. Great. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Truly Fit Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platform, and feel free to email us. We'd love to hear from you. Social at trulyfit.app. Thanks again.